Well, good morning. Let us take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This morning, our attention will be given to verse 29. 29. Ephesians 4, 29. God's word says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let's read it one more time. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. It is, it is clear from reading the Bible that God cares about the way we live our lives. Every single day, every single day. In fact, if you think about it, you go back to verse 28 and the Bible made it clear that God cares about what we do with our hands. God calls us to work, to use our hands. Now, having said that, Paul now moves to what is the proper use of our words, our words. And I think it is appropriate to begin this morning by reminding ourselves Once again, that Christianity encompasses all of life, not just what you do on a Sunday. Christianity is all of life lived to the glory of God. Any other conception of Christianity that lessens this truth is a false form of Christianity. The Christian life is allegiance to Christ in all areas of life from our thinking to the use of our time, the use of our actions, and even the use of our tongues. Jesus has detailed prerogative over us. Detailed prerogative over us. So I need to begin by making this definitive dogmatic statement with no apology. You must be careful how you live because your life in its entirety belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, including your words. Everything about you is his. Now, let's think about the ability to produce speech, the ability to talk. What is it? It's a gift from the Lord. Have you thought about that? Your ability to produce words is a gift from God. Now, we don't make much of this gift, unfortunately. We almost take it for granted. We simply speak. We produce sounds with our mouths. Think about what I'm doing right now. What am I doing? I'm making noises with my mouth. And yet, those noises, they matter. They matter. What are words? It's noise. But it matters. It matters. It is truly an amazing gift. It truly is. It is one of the particular ways in which we can set ourselves apart from other creatures. It is one of the definitive marks of the image of God is the fact that we can speak. 
Of all the created creatures in the world, only humans have this gift. Now let's consider the importance of words. We saw it this morning in Sunday school. God created the entire universe through what? Words. And God said, let there be light. In the, in the book of Psalms, chapter 33, verse 6, we read, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By what? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Words matter. God spoke the world into existence. Are you a Christian this morning? If you're a believer this morning, you know something about yourself. God created you as a Christian into existence by speaking you into life. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. So God has placed a tremendous amount of importance and relevance and power into words. Words. Even for us in human experience, through words, you can sustain a relationship and through words, you can break a marriage. You can destroy a relationship. Through words, we can express love to our spouses. Through words, we give imperatives to our children and expect their obedience. Through words, we can destroy and inflict great amounts of pain. But more revealing still, God has decreed that through words, through words, through a written and spoken message, namely the gospel, he will bring about eternal salvation. He saves people through words. Words matter. Words matter. Think about a vehicle. If we use the the image of a vehicle as an analogy for human relationships in general, words would be both the tires and the steering wheel. That's how important words are. Words carry and sustain our relationships, but they also set the direction in which they go. This is how important words are. Now, people have understood this for centuries, of course. It was King David who in Psalm 141, verse 3, said this, very searching, profound words. Think about what he said. David said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. What a powerful set of words. Can you see why this particular request from David is so profound and so relevant? Can you see the depths of the cry of David? Let me ask you this. Has this request ever been on your lips? I guarantee you this. If we only understood what David understood as reflected in Psalm 141 verse 3, many, if not most of our relational problems would go away. In David, we see a man who understood something of the mystery of the power of the tongue. In fact, in the very same Psalm 141, David pleads with the Lord and he asks the following. He says, Lord, deliver me from evil men. Do you know how David knew who the evil men were? This is how he described them. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent's. 
and under their lips is venom of asps. Evil tongues, venomous lips. Interesting to think of the tongue as being a sharp object or something that can carry venom. Not only did David understand the the power of the tongue, but he also understood the difficulty of controlling it. Have you ever had difficulty controlling your tongue and the words you say? Please say yes. (laughs) Consider the content of David's prayer. Set a guard over my mouth. Set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It is as though David were saying, Lord, I need help. I have a very powerful sword in my mouth, and sometimes I don't know how to use it. It is amazing. Fast forward a few thousand years later, and we encounter James in the New Testament. And this is what James said, that no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. There you go. That's James for you. That's not me. That's James. That's the word of God. So powerful is the tongue indeed that according to James, he said that even the the smallest, this very small member of our bodies can set your entire life on fire. What an incredible image that is. It should not come as a surprise then that this morning we find ourselves in front of a verse in which specific instructions are given with respect to the use of our words. Considering the staggering power contained in the tongue, it is only fitting that the Spirit of God would inspire such text. And in it, we find several imperatives of Christian communication, the use of our words. Now, for some of us, I understand this will be a simple, gentle reminder. For others, this will be a stern warning. And yet for others, this will be a definitive call to repentance. What I will do is I will simply preach it and let the conviction fall where it may. Here's the first imperative that we glean out of Ephesians 4.29. Imperative number one. This is not going to make sense at first, hopefully later. Imperative number one, develop the gag reflex. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. What is the gag reflex? You all know what gagging is. I don't want to remind you of what it is because it's, it's not good. I got the, that idea from a commentator who provided a very insightful comment on this text. But before I explain what that means, let me speak about the word corrupting for a moment. The word corrupting. Let no corrupting talk. What is the meaning of that word? Corrupting comes from a Greek word, sapros. In the New Testament, 
It is used only eight times, eight times. One in here in Ephesians 4.29. The other seven, seven instances are in Matthew and Luke. Jesus used that word to speak of worthless, withered trees that produce evil fruit. But it has a very strong connotation. It has the connotation of rottenness or something putrid. Putrid. It is, in fact, a very strong word. One commentator points out that in secular Greek literature, the word sapros was often used to speak of rotten wood, withered flowers, and rancid fish. Pleasant stuff, right? Nothing pleasant for sure. In fact, it has the purpose of conveying disgust. So how should we take it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29? After all, Paul is not talking about physical things such as trees or flowers or fish. He's talking about something immaterial. He's talking about words. How can words be rotten or rancid or putrid? How do we apply rottenness to words? Here's how. The word corrupting, when applied to speech in general, is a reference to any word or words that serve to deteriorate doctrine or relationships. They are words that are unprofitable and detrimental, and their negative effect spreads like gangrene. One rotten Apple will slowly but surely spread its rottenness to the rest of the apples. That's why Paul uses such a strong word. Now, what, what are some of examples of corrupting words? Let's deduce some of those words out of the context. I would say that corrupting talk, corrupting words out of the context have two sides, okay? Wrong motives and inappropriate content. Wrong motives, inappropriate content content. By motive, I mean words that are motivated by improper affections such as anger, bitterness, wrath, covetousness, envy, impurity, sensuality. This is the first aspect of corrupting words, and we must analyze that. If the motive is improper, then the word will most likely have a corrupting effect in our relationships. Now, let me give you here a personal example over the course of 15 years that the Lord has allowed me to be in the ministry. I have experienced a fair share of criticism. Surprising, isn't it? <laughs> criticism. Some of which, some of which has had validity and truth. But for the most part, I have had to learn to analyze words of criticism very carefully. Most of the time, these words come from improper motives, such as anger, jealousy, envy, hidden animosities, and even divisiveness. And when criticism comes my way, my first question is this, are these edifying words or corrupting words? And here's what I've discovered. Corrupting words are never founded upon truth, but always upon a selfish motive. A selfish motives. All it takes is a little investigation, a few questions, and the truth eventually comes out. 
So here's a word of advice. Don't ever lose sleep over corrupting words directed at you. If you do, then you are achieving their evil purpose, which is to spread rottenness. You, we don't allow those things. Number two, there's content. First, there's motive. Then there's content. By content, I mean words whose very meaning is associated with the descriptions given by Paul in chapter five, beginning in verse three. Corrupting words are words with content that is sexually immoral or that reflects covetousness or filthiness or foolishness or even crude joking. God has lordship over the way you do your jokes. Paul will make that clear in chapter five, verse four. All those examples are examples of corrupting talk. And Paul says there should be none of that in our mouths. And here's where the, the gag reflex comes in. New Testament scholar Clinton Arnold says, and I quote, the image of rottenness suggests that Paul wants believers to develop a kind of gag reflex to unhealthy ways of talking that will repulse them and cause them to clean up the way they speak to each other, end quote. And I think that's a good summary of what Paul is trying to achieve. We keep ourselves from speaking corruptly to one another by developing this gag reflex to corrupting words. Well, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we develop that gag reflex? First, let me tell you what Paul is not asking us to do. Some of you may be confused at this point. Or some of you may have reached the wrong conclusion. Okay? Paul is not telling us to simply bite our tongues. Have you ever had that happen to you? Someone says something offensive or provokes you and, and you think, wow, I, I, could, I could say so many evil words to this person right now, but I'm going to bite my tongue. That would be a superficial understanding of what Paul actually means. That's not what Paul is conveying. Remember that motives matter. There is something deeper going on. Let me explain what it is. And this will lead us into imperative number two. It all begins with cleaning the fountain of our words, which is imperative number two. Imperative number two is this guard and purify your heart above all things. Guard and purify your heart above all things. Consider the words of Paul once again. Let no corrupting talk. What is the second half? Come out of your mouth. Think about this. What eventually comes to the outside, I know this is going to revolutionize the way you think, what eventually comes to the outside must first be on the inside. I told you, very smart insight. Just like a stream of water can only be as clean as the source from which it originates, so too our words will only be as clean as the heart from which they proceed. Consider Paul, Paul's words one more time. Let no corrupting talk, talk come out of your mouth. Come out of your mouths. 
Do those words sound familiar to you? Do they remind you of another story in, in the Gospels? If, if not, let me help you remember. Turn to Matthew chapter 15 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 15. Here we find the Lord Jesus debating the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of his time, as it was normal. And this time the debate was about what makes a person spiritually defiled. And I want you to pay attention to how Jesus responds to the religious leaders of his time. What makes a person spiritually defiled? Consider verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Have you ever said, spoken a word that later on you regret it? Yeah, you can't blame anybody. Nobody can make you speak corrupting words. It came from within. My wife, she made me say this stuff. I mean, how can she do that? I had to offend her. No, that's never true. That's never true. Your kids, they can never provoke you to anger so that you speak angrily at them. Never. Never. There is no circumstance in the world in which you can be justified. You know why? Because it is a problem with the fountain. It comes from within. This is the key to every single one of our issues. The Bible makes an astonishing connection between words and the heart. So close, so intimate is the connection between words, what we say, and the heart from which they come, that sometimes these two words are almost used interchangeably. I'm going to show you a few examples. So remember, Paul says, don't let corrupting words come out. He's taking us very deep. This is not a matter of biting our tongues, as I said. This is a matter of having a clean fountain, which is where words originate. But let me show you from the word of God how this connection between words and the heart is made. Consider with me the book of Proverbs. And I'm going to ask you to turn there with me. I think it's important for you to see it with your own eyes. Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15. What we're looking at is the connection, this intimate connection between words and the heart. Consider how those two are used. Proverbs 5, chapter 15, consider with me verse 7. Read verse 7. The lips of the wise spread what? Knowledge. What would you expect it to say following that? Not so the Lips of fools, but that's not what it says. What does it say? The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. Why? Because they're almost seen as the same. He's using those two words interchangeably. Consider with me verse 14. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. But the heart of fools feed on folly. Is that what it says? No. It says, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. 
They're intimately connected. Intimately connected. Let me show you. Can I show you one more time? One more? Do I have your approval? Okay, good. Thank you, Dr. Kreider. Verse 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious thoughts are pure. No, that's not what he says. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but, the great, but gracious words are pure. Am I proving my point? Thank you, whoever that was. Was my wife. She's biased. She likes me. It is quite unmistakably then that word, the word of God teaches the reality of a connection between our words and our hearts so intimate and deep in fact that they're almost seen as one. They're almost seen as one. Let me, let me give you a little warning here. If you consider yourself a person who is angry all the time, speaking angry words, you know what the problem is, right? By now you understand it. It comes from within. Comes from within. The only way to let, to not let corrupting words come out of our mouths is by paying attention to the heart. This is a very strange sounding idea, especially in a world in which almost everything wrong can be blamed on someone or something else. But Paul is telling us in no uncertain terms that we, you and I, must take personal responsibility for the words that we say. Your mouth is your mouth. Your heart is your heart. You must keep them under control. Now, having established this intimate connection, we can now glean the following two insights, both of which are embedded in Ephesians 4.29. Go back to Ephesians 4.29, if you would. One insight has to do with potential. The other one has to do with necessity. Let me talk about first the potential. What do I mean by that? When Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, who is he talking to? Pagans or Christians? That's so funny. Christians, Christians. Paul is talking to Christians. When he said to Christians, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, he must mean that the potential for corrupting words is still very much alive in all of us. Do you follow what I'm saying? Paul didn't say, notice, please. Paul did not say, let no corrupting talk come into your mouths. Then it would be easy to blame it on somebody else. Paul didn't say that. Paul said, don't let it come out. Why? Because the potential is already there. If you will keep your words under control, then you must be aware of the intrinsic potential in you. You must be on guard. In practice, we could say that this potential should lead us to guarding the heart from any and every form of evil influence. The things that you watch, the books that you read, people who let Sexually charged or sexually inappropriate words to come out of their mouths are the ones who are allowing their hearts to be influenced by these types of immorality in the first place. Their fountain is getting dirty. And if the fountain is dirty, don't expect the streams to be clean. Now, at this juncture, it would be helpful to remember that our responsibility and our calling as Christians is that we be engaged in putting off and putting on. That's what Paul has said. 
So let me ask you this. Is there anything in your life currently that you are allowing in your life that you should be putting off? Remember that your heart, remember this point, your heart is never in a neutral position. Never in a neutral position being unaffected by anything. That's never true. You are always being shaped and informed by something in your life. Is there anything, is there any door that you should be closing right now because it's influencing your heart? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Remember that the potential is there. The second, the second insight that I want to give you embedded in Ephesians 4.29 is this, is the, the insight of necessity. What do I mean by that? I mean the necessity for ongoing purification of the heart. If you don't want corrupting talk to come out of your mouth, then you and I need a pure heart. Interestingly enough, it was William Perkins who wrote a treatise titled General Means of Ruling the Tongue. And the very first requirement for ruling the tongue, according to Perkins, is, anybody can guess? I give you all the clues. A pure heart. That is the first rule for ruling the tongue. According to William Perkins, a pure heart. In this short treatise, Perkins addresses two specific issues. How to make the heart pure and how to keep it pure. So let me ask the the first question. How do we make our hearts pure? First, by examining our lives and conscience for any known sin. Do you do this? Do you take time sometimes to analyze your life for any known sin? Number two, by confessing to God with sincerity and sorrow. This is William Perkins. Confessing. And number three, by crying out to God for pardon in Christ. This is how you cleanse your heart. And as we do this, Perkins says, God will renew a right spirit in you as he did with David. The second issue is how do we keep the heart pure? Here's what Perkins said. How do we keep our hearts pure? This is a special work of faith. This is a special work of faith because faith According to Acts chapter 15, verse 9, faith cleanses the heart. How does that work? Here's how Perkins answered. Faith purifies the heart by applying Christ crucified with all his merits. It is all about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the day. Perkins suggests the following two questions, the following questions to be the object of your constant contemplation. These are the questions. Has God of his tender mercy given his own son to be my savior, to shed his blood for me? And has he of his own mercy granted unto me the pardon of all my sins? I will therefore endeavor to keep my heart and my life unblameable so that I do not offend him hereafter in word or deed as I have done before. So here's my question. Do you want a clean heart? then you must cling to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you need.
forgive my runny nose this morning. So having developed the gag reflex to corrupting words and having understood the absolute necessity to guard and purify our hearts, we now move to Paul's third and final imperative. And I'm going to keep this short. Actually, not really. I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to keep it short. Here's the imperative number three. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? It's very simple. Do the work of pondering, pondering your words. Look, in, look at the second half of verse 29. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Only such. Brothers and sisters, we are going to give an account to the Lord for every word we speak. But let's be more specific. According to Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, we are going to give an account to the Lord for every, anybody know? Careless, careless word we speak. Every careless word, the word careless is very interesting. And I think we need to spend a few minutes thinking about the word careless, careless. Do we agree? Let's, let's spend a few minutes, just a few minutes. We good? Okay, good. Listen to what the word careless can mean. This is a careless word. Free from labor. At leisure. Lazy. Shunning the labor which one ought to perform. That's careless. A careless word is a lazy word. To speak corruptly is laziness. Why? What's the connection? Here's the connection. Are you ready? Mutual edification within the body of Christ is a constant labor of words. Words. Mutual edification within the body of Christ is a constant labor of words. It takes work to learn to use your words wisely. It doesn't just happen. Consider Proverbs 15 verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil. What does it mean to ponder? To ponder means to plot, to devise. It means to calculate. It means to give detailed and careful thought. It means, in fact, the opposite of carelessness. The wicked, the Bible describes, simply pours out his words without consideration. Listen, listen, it is not a virtue. It is not a virtue. I'm going to repeat that. It is not a virtue to always speak whatever comes to your mind without pondering. Sometimes we admire people. Oh, they always speak their mind. Whatever, I don't. I don't. 
In fact, to speak without pondering is failure to speak Christianly. We must plot, we must devise, we must calculate our words for a very specific purpose. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Proverbs 25 verse 11. This is the point that Paul is trying to convey in the second half of Ephesians 4.29. Are you seeing it? Holy speech demands that we labor to learn to use our words for their God-given purpose. And this requires pondering. What we see in Ephesians 4.29 are three questions that all godly pondering should ask. What are those questions? Here they are. Number one, the question of desire. Number two, the question of suitability. And number three, the question of purpose. Godly pondering of our words must always ask these three questions. Am I speaking with the desire to edify my brother? Do you realize this Paul said only such as build up. This is our call. Am I speaking with a desire to edify my neighbor? The second question is this. Are my words suitable for the need of the moment? And what is the third question that we must ask in every single Christian interaction is this. Do my words impart grace? You know what those three questions are? The roadmap to godly pondering our words. If you're going to ponder what you say, you must ask those three questions. Christ-centered fellowship is an invitation to a constant labor of words. This is one of the great things that I personally appreciate about the resurgence of the biblical counseling movement. Do you see the connection? You know what biblical counselors do? Almost by definition, a biblical counselor is a person who is seeking to ponder their words for the sake of someone else. Counselors are always placing themselves in circumstances in which they have to ask these three questions. How can my words edify this person? How can my words meet the specific needs of this person? And how can my words impart grace to this person? If you are engaged in the process right now of becoming a counselor, you're going through the process, you're learning, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you by reminding you that all the reading that you're doing, all the studying, all the writing that you're doing is for this. You know what counseling is? Counseling is word pondering in action, informed by scripture, empowered by the spirit. That's what we're doing. That's what we do. So press on. The letter of Ephesians was written to a people of all sorts of backgrounds. Some were business people. Some were carpenters. Some were rich. Some were poor. Some were highly educated. Some were not. This is your calling as a Christian, regardless of where you are in your particular life, your level of education, your financial reality, doesn't matter. We're called to reject corrupting words, guard and purify our hearts, and to work for pondering our words and all for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I'll give you three final, very brief thoughts. Very brief. I want you to take this home. Consider the selfless quality of Christian communication. It is always about somebody else. It is always about somebody else. Number two, consider the holy objective of Christian communication. It is always about growing in grace. It is always about growing in grace. This will normally involve one of three things, encouragement, advice, and even rebuke all of which can be for the edification of someone else. And finally, and we'll end with this, consider the comprehensive nature of our redemption. Consider the comprehensive nature of our redemption. Jesus redeemed everything about us. Everything. He didn't just pay the price for the penalty of our sins, but he's also working to free us from the power of sin. Even the sins that stem from our mouths. Why? Because Jesus is a complete savior. And no aspect of our lives has been left untouched by his redeeming grace. So my invitation to you this morning, my Christian friend is let us seek to honor Christ with our words. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for teaching us this morning. Even so, even though uh, the, your servant is imperfect, and even though I know that this sermon has not been perfect, yet your word is. And we thank you, Father, that we can ultimately rely on the power of your word. Help us to honor you through the use of our tongues. Help us to learn what it means to be imitators of Christ. And thank you, Father, for the gospel which has redeemed us. Thank you, Father, for working in our lives every day. You are transforming us, conforming us into the image of Christ. And help us to see more and more of him in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.